0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ben. I am so glad that you're here at Four Corners with us for the third week of the Get Up Message series. And in just a moment, we're gonna grab those message notes that were on your seat, and we're going to walk through some principles from God's word today that I think will help you live out the power of the resurrection. Now, just a couple weeks ago was Easter, and on that day, we talked about that. On the cross, God displayed his miraculous love, but in the resurrection, he displayed his power, He proved that the love he had for us was powerful enough to make a difference in our lives. And we're going to continue that thought today as we talk about the power of God at work in our minds. But before we do that, because we're talking about minds, um, I wanted to make you aware that in our audience today we have some very special people. We have some folks who are teachers in our community. And today in our middle school area and in our elementary area, we're celebrating Teacher Honor Day. And what that means is very simply is there's a handful of kids who've invited their teachers to come to church with them today as a way of saying to those teachers, we honor you. A lot of you know that I used to be a high school teacher and uh, those were some of the best years of my life. I really enjoyed making an investment in kids. And I want those of you who are teachers, homeschool parents, those who, uh, you know, work in the educational area of our community. We are so honored at your work and we're so proud of you and we so respect what you do. We know that when you make an investment in the life of a person to help them understand the world around them, we we believe it's God's world. When you make an investment in them, you give them tools to be a productive part of this community, but more than that, you bring dignity to their life. And so we're so, so, so proud to have you in our midst today. In fact, we're going to pray for you in a minute. You don't have to stand up. We're not going to embarrass you or anything like that. And then we have a gift for you if you haven't already received it. So if you're a teacher today and you haven't received a gift from us yet on your way out the door by the big thing that says Teacher Honor Day out in the lobby, we have a gift for you. There's a there's a, quite a bit of nice stuff in there. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. But right now, I'd like to invite all the Four Corners folks to bow with me. Let's say a prayer for our teachers in the community. And uh, let's lift up these partners that we have for the work of God in our world. All right? So would you bow with me? Father, we're so grateful that uh, there are people who would invest their lives into building up other folks. And Lord, in our community, we're especially blessed to have quality men and women who, who literally build up people who bring dignity to their life, who teach them about the world around them, teach them about themselves and help them find their place. They bring valuable skills. They bring important knowledge and they help people gain wisdom. And Lord, we're honored to partner with them. We're honored, Lord, in the pursuit of truth that they represent. We're honored, Lord, to walk beside them in prayer here as a church. And even though sometimes it's awkward to blend education and religion in today's culture We're just grateful, Lord, that we are having the blessing of great partnership. That you do your work, not only in churches, but in schools and educational institutions as well. And we're grateful for them, Lord. We say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just as a a way of saying thank you to those folks, can you give a round of applause for all the teachers that are in our room? Well, we're going to talk about our minds today. And we're going to talk about why your mind matters. And I want to talk to you from the perspective that the resurrection of Jesus is powerful. It's so powerful that it touches not only heavenly things that you might would expect a church to talk about, but it touches pragmatically very earthly things, like what happens between your ears. And I don't know if you know it or not, but there's a battleground raging between your ears. There is a war for your mind. And our Bible talks a lot about this, about being clear-minded and making sober judgment. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, in fact, I'm going to encourage some of you to memorize it this week, comes to us from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians living in the city of Rome. And in the 12th division of that letter, in the second verse, here's what it says. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, but be renewed. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. The renewing of your mind. Yeah, there's a battle going on between your ears for your mind. And your mind really matters. I want to give you three reasons why your mind matters. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus today, our words particularly apply to you. Because the power of the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated on Easter, God means for that power to not just get you into heaven. He means for it to make a dramatic difference in the way you experience life here on earth. And while he showed his love on the cross, his power demonstrated in the resurrection can reach all the way down into the battlefield of your mind. Where many of our struggles originate. It can reach all the way into the battlefield of our minds and make a difference. And God can renew our thinking. God can renew our thinking. And when our thinking is renewed, it makes a dramatic difference in the quality of our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room and you're not sure about church stuff at all, we're really glad that you're here. And you're going to hear me talk about, for the next few minutes, one of the dramatic changes God can make in a person's life. An incredible partnership that happens when we let God show us how to renew our minds. I want you to hear that and understand it and think about it. And my hope is, is that as we talk about this, you would discover a little bit of our Heavenly Father's heart who loves you. Who doesn't want any part of your life to be untouched by his love. And he doesn't just love you kind of uh, detached from life. He loves you with enough power to reach all the way into the details of your life. And when we talk about renewing your mind, we believe that's not just a possibility, but it can become an actuality in your life that God can renew the way you're thinking because the way you think really matters. Here, here's our first blank right there on your sermon notes if you open it up on the inside. What, what, what's on my mind or why my mind matters, it matters because my thinking sets direction for my life. My thinking sets direction for my life. My thoughts control my life. Every single action begins with a thought. If you don't think it, you tend not to do it. There are some base level things we do by instinct. But most of the higher level engagements we have in this world between each other, in our environment, is dictated by what's going on in our mind. And I don't just mean the way the brain fires and synapses uh, connect with one another. I mean all that goes into your thinking about the world around you. If you don't think well, if you have bad thoughts, you tend to operate out of a bad place, bringing bad results and bad feelings and bad experiences. But when your thinking is correct, you have the tools and the equipment to make intentional decisions that bring about good in your life. And again, if you're a follower of Jesus, if your thinking is right and your mind is being renewed by the power of God, then you can live the kind of life God has designed for you to live. But if your thinking is wrong, all the good intention in the world, all the hope to, won't make a bit of difference. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 in your message notes, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And It mentions heart in there, and we're talking about mind, but this is the concept I want to give to you. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the seat of your emotions. It's talking about the, the place where the will is born. It's a, it's a metaphor, you know, heart matters. When we talk about the mind, I'm talking about the, the blending together of your emotion, your thoughts, your logic, just the way you see the world around you. So how do you see the world around you? How do you see it? By the time we get done today, my hope is, is that you'd have a bitter, a, a slightly better, um, more clear picture of the world that God has put you in and your role in it. Because what happens in your mind makes a big difference. A lot of times in our world, we talk about feelings. Our songs deal with the feelings in our life. We have love songs, you know, romance songs and songs that you want to drink beer to and, you know, talk about your dog that was run over by a pickup truck. We have all kinds of feelings that happen in our songs. And we're very aware of our feelings at any given moment. You know, I'm feeling this way, or I'm feeling this way. And feelings matter, but feelings don't shape your life. Your beliefs do. What you think shapes your life. What you hold to be true. If you believe it, if you think it's true, it's gonna shape your life. And the interesting thing about that is it doesn't matter if it's objectively true. If what you think is true is true is not the point. What is true to you will make a difference in your life, even if what you think is true is completely inaccurate. Teachers know how this works. If a kid believes deep down that two plus two is five, You can tell them all day long it's for. You can put the big red ink all over the, uh, the paper and the worksheet they turned in, but until they begin to see it differently and think about it differently, they're going to get it wrong. The mind is a big deal. It sets the direction for your life. Some of you were fortunate enough to have good teachers and good parents and good community members who would speak into your mind and into your heart and help you see the world around you in such a way that you felt you had a place of significance in the world. And out of that truth that you have in your brain, you began to walk in the light of the fact that you believed you had a significant place and a significant role to play in the world. And others of you were not so fortunate. Your home life, your educational experience, whatever happened to you, left you believing that this world was difficult and rough and that you would have to fight for every single thing. And that truth that you have in your mind impacts the way you see the world. The truth in your mind to you, to me, the truth in my mind is even more important sometimes than what's actually going on. That's why the Bible says that we should guard, seriously guard, what is happening in our heart, in our mind, because it will set the direction for where we go and what we do and what we think. Here's another reason why we have to remember that our mind matters because our mind is a battleground for sin. Our mind is a battleground for sin. Now, for followers of Jesus, this is a big deal, the, the idea of sin. Because in sin, what we're simply saying is, is God wants us to go one way, but we go another way. And we believe as Christians that if we go the opposite direction of the way God wants for us to go, it actually brings pain into our lives. It actually, it actually makes our Heavenly Father look at us, not with less love, but with The pain of a parent looking at somebody that he or she loves, knowing that those decisions you're making are going to result in pain in your life. I was with some parents this week uh, as I was uh, away with some pastors in our evening time. We hung out with some friends, and I was with some parents this week, and their kids are making horrible decisions. And in the voice of those parents, you could hear two things. You could hear a dramatic amount of love and just, just... Incredible hope for those kids and at the same time, the pain of the reality that bad decisions are going to open those kids up to pain that at this point in their life they can't even imagine. And it's not that the parents don't love them. It's that they love them so much they don't want them to experience the pain. And so when we as followers of Jesus talk about the fact that our mind becomes a battleground for sin, it's not something that we're afraid of or we're driven away from. It's actually an expression of the love of God. He wants to renew our minds so that we can walk with him boldly and wholly. Because when we don't, those of us who've focused on the things of God at all, we know what comes to our life when we don't walk with God boldly and wholly. What happens is, is, we open our lives to all kinds of dysfunction and pain. That's why in Romans chapter seven, Paul writes these words. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Delight in God's law. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. There hasn't been many seasons in my life where I delighted in God's law. In fact, there were whole segments of my life where God's law was something that I really kind of tried to put off to the back burner. But Paul here is reminiscing on some words that David, who killed Goliath a long time before this letter in Romans was written, he's reflecting on a similar kind of statement that David made, that um, when David was writing, the psalmist David was writing, he was saying, Lord, I reflect on your law. I delight in your law. Your law is actually the thing that brings me safety and comfort. And we don't often apply associate law with comfort. Like when you're going, you know, 70 miles an hour in a 55 and you see the blue lights, you're not thinking, I love the law. You're not. I'm not. I'm trying to think, how close can I get to telling the truth without telling a lie to get out of this ticket? That's kind of what I'm typically thinking. What's the story I'm going to tell? And we don't often associate law with comfort. But if you're on the other side, If something bad is happening to you and you have a phone near you you, and you can dial 911, in those moments you begin to think about how the law becomes a source of safety and comfort, even joy to you. So Paul writes, in my inner being I delight in God's law. But look at the truth here. It's one of the reasons why I love God's word because it doesn't sugarcoat the realities of life. But I see another law at work in me. There's God's law, then there's another law at work in me. And it's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. He's saying there's all these forces at work in me and I see God's law, I have a picture of it. And then if I'm honest and I look in the mirror, there's something else at work in me and they battle against one another. And what's at stake in that battle is a big deal. What's at stake is a big deal. That's the quality of your life with God. It's not so much that you don't get to make heaven. There's going to be a lot of bad Christians in heaven. You're looking at one of them. You can go to heaven. But the quality of your walk with God, what he's able to do in your life, what he's able to do through your life gets affected by how you pay attention to what's going on in your mind and how you see God's law, how you see God's world, and how you see your role in it. The third reason why we have to talk about the mind today is because in our mind, when my thinking is clear, peace and joy are near. When my thinking is clear, peace and joy are near. In Romans, again, Paul writes these words. The mind, is governed, by the f- by the mind governed by the flesh is death. Now, in the Bible, when it talks about the flesh, it pits two ideas against each other. The spiritual life and then the earthly life. The life oriented towards God, the life oriented towards self, the spirit and the flesh. And in the Greek, the language the Bible was originally written in, the word flesh there is the Greek word sarx. And I had a Greek professor who thought this was the funniest thing in the world. He would say, when God's spirit comes on you, it will knock your sarx off. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. You laughed much better than any of us in his classes ever did. But it will knock the flesh out of you. When God's spirit is active, what happens is, is he deals appropriately with that part of our life that isn't guided by the spirit. And so again, in Romans 8, the mind governed by the flesh leads to or is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. In fact, what this verse is telling us is that when God's a part of our mind, it enables us to respond to spiritual things. And when God's not a part of our life, we're hindered, we're unable to respond to spiritual things. And one of the things we do at our church every week to make sure that we're open is we give people a chance to respond to the gospel of God, the good news that Jesus died But he didn't stay dead. And because he died and has been resurrected, we can trust his work. And when we do that, we can have a relationship with our heavenly father. And we know that as we tell that truth, you can understand it. But it's the spirit of God that makes that truth come alive in a person's mind. Such that they can respond to it and say, yes, to that offer of grace that God offers. So three big reasons. My thinking sets direction for my life. My mind is a battleground for sin. And when my thinking is clear, then peace and joy can come near to me. Because an unmanaged mind leads to tension. A managed mind then leads to tranquility. An unmanaged mind leads to pressure, but a managed mind leads to peace. An unmanaged mind can lead to conflict and chaos, but a managed mind leads to confidence. An unmanaged mind leads to stress, and if you don't manage your thoughts, you're going to go all over the place. That's why your mind matters so much, and that's why the Bible talks so much about what's going on in your brain. That's why teachers spend a lot of time to teach kids about the environment around them and how the world really works so that they can walk in harmony with the laws at work in the world. And that's why pastors look at followers of Jesus and say, you understand how that if we walk in harmony with the natural world, we don't walk off a cliff and expect to be fine because we know there's a law called gravity. And when we understand gravity, we can kind of use it to our benefit. And pastors say in the same way then, when we pay attention to the spiritual world and we understand the way the spiritual stuff works and our mind is renewed to understand the ways of God, then we can walk in harmony with God's world. It's a very similar principle. And that's why at least around here, and I can't vouch for every other church around here, we think that education is a powerful tool that God uses for good in our community and in our world. And we really value teachers around here. And much of what we do as a local church is teaching. We teach people the ways of God, his character, his nature. And we believe that if you'll take the ways of God into your heart, into your mind, if you let it affect your thinking, if you'll let God renew your mind even daily, it'll make a dramatic difference in your life. And while you will still have hardship in this world, there will be other realities that speak loudly, more loudly than the pain in your life. This is very important because some of you right now are going through really cruddy times. And when you look out at the world around you, your mind tells you. What you see, how you interpret that is, is that there's very little hope. It's ugly. It's dark. And there may even be some truth to some of that. But there's another reality that can speak. The reality that comes from God's perspective that says there's never a day in your life that you're ever without hope. And there's never a day in your life that God has done with you. And there's nothing There's nothing that he can't deliver you from, and there's no place that he can't pull you back home from. And those truths about God's character and his nature and the way he operates begins to speak to things like broken relationships and difficult financial situations and bad news from doctors and unfortunate news from your employers and chaotic news from around the world. God's truth can speak in the middle of all of those realities and in your mind begin to set a different direction than just the simple things that you see in front of you. But it takes effort to see things from God's perspective. It takes a certain amount of openness. In fact, I have three daily choices that I'd like to submit to you that you can make so that your thinking can become clearer and that you can see the things of God, not just the things of this world. And I want to offer them to you. And as we do them, I don't want to just make a suggestion. I'd like for you to do a little internal survey. How are you doing on these three suggestions? A, are they new to you? If they are, this is going to be a great gift to you. B, if they're not new, how are you doing? Are these things that you need to be reminded of because while you had learned them, you never put them into action. Around here in our leadership environment among the staff and the leaders of this church, we have a little saying. It goes something like this, that to learn and not do is to not to learn. To learn and to not do is to not to learn. If you really learn something, it affects the way you act. The behavioral psychologists teach us that changed behavior is proof of learning. I'm telling you, you can learn the ways of God in such a way that it literally affects your daily behavior. And where chaos and stress and strife have been your pattern, a renewed mind can change that, and it doesn't take an entire lifetime. It's amazing what regular doses of God's truth will do in your life and how it will combat all the other crud that keeps coming in, taking up space in your mind. So three daily choices for you. Number one, you and I, we must feed my mind with truth. I must feed my mind with truth. Truth is the only antidote for all the folly that's out there. Now in certain divisions of life, truth is a little more obvious to see sometimes. So like in the sciences, when you can look through a telescope or a microscope and you can observe changes over time and you see the way molecules interact with each other or you observe various reactions to various elements being joined together, you can begin to get a certain truth about the way these things work and those patterns tend to hold up over time. This is what they teach you in science. But in a similar way, you can observe some of the ways of God over time in your life and that observation over time can speak to you. There's a couple ways to have the observation speak to you. One is you can have your own observations. This is where you have experiences and over time you see the faithful hand of God. I've been walking with the Lord now for a long time. I was about five years old the first time I knelt down and asked God to come into my life. And I certainly didn't understand it all. But that started a journey for me. And now, several decades later, my understanding has grown because I've had the good fortune of watching the faithfulness of God over time. And I've begun to believe in reality, not just in my head, but like in my mind, in my thinking. It's affecting my world. I begin to believe that God can be trusted and that He's good I can't outgive God. So when I give him my whole life, he gives me back so much more in return. I've learned that the character of God is the kind of thing that I can build my life on. That he really is good. That when the world around me doesn't seem good, he's good. And he's going to at least bring good out of it for my good. And I would have preached that with passion when I was 22. But I'm about twice that now. Maybe a little bit more. Now I can't just have the word of God that gives me confidence of it, which is enough. But now I have experience over time that shows me that God, God can be trusted. One of my best friends says it this way. God God will never fail you. He'll scare you to death a few times, but he won't fail you. (laughs) That's a little true. I mean, there have been moments where I've wondered. But in retrospect, I see the hand of God. So there's my experiences. Then there's the experience of other people. Sometimes recorded in the pages of scripture, so much testimony about the way God works. There's stories here in this church where people would tell you, I thought my marriage was over. There are people who tell you, I thought we had hit the bottom and we wouldn't rebound. I thought my child would be lost forever. I thought, I thought, I thought. But then the faithful God showed up and began to do his work. And sometimes all the circumstances didn't change, but they began to change in the middle of their circumstance. And when they tell those stories of testimony, where their trials were turned to testimony, where their testing became a testimony, it builds our faith and we see the character of God at work. And we begin to feed our mind on other truths than what we see. That's why Jesus, for instance, said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Talking to the crowds, it says, Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This happened in the middle of a conversation with the enemy of, his, uh, of, of our soul, where he's being tempted to do something and to feed a very basic human need the need to eat. He's being tempted to turn stone to bread and satisfy his stomach. That need, that reality, his hunger is very much in front of him. But Jesus reminded his tempter that there's other truth, other truth available that can speak louder than our circumstances. And in this particular case, he reminded us that while bread will nourish us physically, the word of God will nourish us spiritually. So when should we feed our mind with the truth? Well, the answer to that very simply is all the time. And I don't necessarily mean every minute of every day. I don't know how you would do that. But regularly throughout your day, regularly throughout your day, and I'm going to give you some tools on how to do that once we look at this. In Psalm 119, verse 147, the longest chapter in the Bible, here's what our Bible says. Again, the psalmist David was writing, I rise before dawn and I cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. David had a rough life in many ways. There was a season where he was chased and life was ugly. This is long before he was king. And he says, long before the dawn comes up, I cry out for help and I find that I have hope in your word. So there's the morning. And then look at Psalm 119, a few verses earlier. Oh, how I love your law, David says. That's what Paul was reminiscing on a little bit earlier in our verse. And I meditated, I meditated on it all day long. And your commands are always with me, and they make me wiser than my enemies. So, when can you do it? You can do it in the morning, you can do it all day long. And in Psalm 16, verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me, even at night, my heart instructs me. Those things that he's been reflecting on, they speak back to him in the middle of the night. Now, the word of God can be your constant friend. And here's some ways to keep that in front of you that I've just discovered. I can't take you to a verse here, although this is scriptural in principle. I can't show you the chapter and verse. Let me just give you some ways to keep the word of God in front of you. I have found that if I'll keep some worship music on around me, the kind that I enjoy, that may not be what you enjoy, but I enjoy it, I like the style, and they're singing about the, about the character of our God and His faithfulness, and they're singing about the things God has done in this world and the things He can do in our lives, that just the worship music alone has the ability to draw me back to the truth found in God's Word. This is why the Apostle Paul writes that it's through through psalms, through new songs, through praying that we can connect with God. And even the worship music we do around here. Like I'll turn on you know, a radio station, Kayla or one of the others, or I'll put my iPod on and I'll you know, go to Spotify and listen to a, a set that I've developed or something. And I let the music remind me of God's ways. Another way you can do this, if you're not doing, let me just throw it out to you. Not that complicated. It just takes a little bit of discipline. It's just regularly open God's word. I like to say it this way. Five chapters a day will keep the pastor away. It's true. And just five chapters a day, 10 to 15 minutes, 20 minutes. For me, it's typically in the evening. A lot of folks do it in the morning. But when I do that, it's just easier for that stuff to be in front of me. It's amazing how often when I've read something in the evening, the very next day, something related to what I read shows up. Now, I can call that coincidence, but I'm just telling you that the truth of God's word speaks powerfully into your life. When I've gone through seasons of the soul where things aren't so nice, it's amazing how often verses I learned as a child, which brings me to my third point, memorization, how often verses I memorized as a child would speak back to me. A few weeks ago, we were in the middle of our worship set here, and Pastor Will pulled out his Bible, and he read a passage from Psalm 150. Psalm 150 was the first chapter I ever memorized as a kid. I memorized it because my Sunday school teacher said, if you'll memorize it, I'll give you this little car. It was like a you 94-cent know, Hot Wheels, and that was good enough for me. So I memorized the whole chapter, right? So all gimmicky, except... I focused on the Word of God, and even as an adult, those words come back to me. And So I memorized it in the good old King James Version of the Bible, which is the one that we mostly carried when I was a kid. And Will's quoting it from the NIV, and I was like, you're not right. That's not godly. You need to say it, you need to say it this way, you know. But those words come back to you. So through worship music, through reading the scripture, through memorizing scriptures, God's truth gets in you, and you begin to feed your mind with truth. And then you have this depository that you can draw from when you need it. And I have found that when my well is filled with the truth from God's word primarily, reminded through song, through things i memorize, memorized, through things I've read, sometimes through something somebody has said in a sermon, then when I'm going through stuff, it's easy for me to reach over here and grab hold of that and let that truth speak louder than the truth in front of me. Truths like very simple one. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I can grab hold of that when I feel my temperature rising. I can grab hold of that. I can grab hold of the truth that says that A kind word, timely spoken, is like apples of gold set in frames of silver. I can be reminded of just how powerful an encouraging word spoken at a right time can be. When somebody shares with me a need that's so great and I don't even know what to say, I can go to the writings of Peter and be reminded that we can cast all of our care on him because he cares for us. Now, that's not wisdom I have in myself. It's wisdom that comes from the Word of God. That's why you have to feed your mind with truth. Number two, then, you got to deal with destructive thoughts. You have to deal with destructive thoughts. Your mind needs to be liberated, needs to be set free, needs to be delivered. It needs to be released because you can be a prisoner of your own thoughts. You can be a prisoner of those things that were spoken into your life as a kid. I had incredible teachers in my life, except for one. And I remember one day I was struggling with a particular subject, and she called my mom into the classroom, and that was always a bad day in our house. It's always a bad day in our house. You know, my parents had the idea that if you got in trouble at school, you got in trouble at home. That's the way it worked. And it didn't matter what adult it was, any adult, some stranger on the street could say something. And my parents believed them more than they believed me. It's just the way it worked. Like my parents loved me, but they didn't like me sometimes. You know, I was like low on the totem pole. And so this teacher calls and uh, I was struggling with a particular subject. And I was in the back of the room listening to them talk, which again, probably not the smartest thing in the world. And I heard this teacher say this phrase. I think he would be fine but I think he's a little lazy. Now I knew that was a bad thing because laziness to my dad it's like, you know, you you don't lie, you're not lazy and then you don't kill people. Kind of in that order of importance. <laughs> That's the way it works with my dad, you know. So lazy was bad. Lazy was bad. And I don't know, somehow it's just like it got in me. Like it got in me. She thought I was lazy. And as I look over the course of my life, there are many things I've done in response to that sense that kind of got on me. Some of you were told you were stupid, and others of you were told by people who had influence in your life you'd never amount to anything. Those things have a way of sticking. How do you break that? Well, these destructive thoughts... Come on to us. But God's word, the Bible says, can raise up a standard. God can raise up a standard against these kinds of things. In the Christian world, we talk about it this way. We talk about a stronghold. This might be a new concept to some of you. For some of you, this is refreshing your mind. A stronghold is simply a lie that you believe is true. And you believe it true to such an extent that you act out of that. Maybe the lie is something like this. God said I shouldn't do that, but that looks pleasurable. And if I do that, it's going to make my life happier. I know what God said, but that thing there will make me happier. And so there's a lie that somehow that's going to make you happier, even though God says to avoid it. But you believe it to be true. And a stronghold is that thing that pulls you into that lie to act out on that lie. A stronghold might be something that you think about yourself, that you have sinned so much that you're so flawed that you can't rebound that grace can't reach you and that God's power can't redeem you or that you're so old that there'll be no significance in your life or you're so hurt or so wounded. Strongholds. They're strongholds of lust. Addiction can be a certain amount of, of stronghold. I can't cope without this thing. I'm more myself is often how it starts. I'm more myself when I do this. I'm more at ease when I do this. And that's often how addictions begin. That's a stronghold. And the Bible says that God is powerful enough to pull down strongholds, to destroy that bad thinking and actually liberate us from our own destructive thoughts about ourselves and the world around us. So in Romans chapter five, Paul writes it this way. Those who live according to the flesh, that sarks again, have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. And there it is, that war again. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes these words. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Do you hear the war language over and over and over again? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. That's a type of stronghold. Arguments we have in our head. We demolish strongholds. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This language of war, we take captive, we tear down, we demolish. Yeah, there's a battle for your mind. It shows up often in temptation. I like what the Bible says about temptation, it puts some things in context for us in James chapter 1. When we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, and gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a kind of a four-step stage. You might want to write these in the margin of your notes. Something I've observed. Again, I can't take you to the exact chapter and verse, but here's something I've observed. There's often a desire at work in you. And sometimes it's a good desire, like the desire to eat. But when that desire to eat gets out of bounds, well, you put on some weight. That's a simple way to kind of understand. But take any natural desire that's there and pull it out of its healthy boundaries, and you're headed for trouble. Some of you enjoy fun, and you like having a good time, and that's a good desire. But when that desire drives your life to always have a good time, and there's never a moment of discipline or sobriety, then you're in trouble But the desire at its core is good. And sometimes then with the desire, there's doubt. That's the second thing that happens. There's a desire, then there's doubt. You remember last week when we were talking about Adam and Eve engaging uh, in that story in the Old Testament? And the the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? There's like doubt. Somehow, everybody else is going to be hurt. But you're okay. You believe you're going to be fine to step close to that sin that God says to to avoid. Now every, you've seen a hundred people struggle with that substance, but somehow you're going to be okay with it. And it's only once. Did God really say? I've heard people say, but God wants me to be happy. And that justifies why it was okay to flirt with that person in the office that they work with. Did God really say desire and then doubt and then deception, believing a lie of the enemy? Deception, desire, doubt, and then deception. To believe something that's not true as true. And finally, the fourth step being disobedience or defeat. I have found the temptation often starts as a desire that leads to doubt, and then we begin to believe a lie about the world around us and about God and about ourselves. I'll be fine. It doesn't really matter. No one will know. It will be okay. Everybody does it we begin to tell ourselves, if we're not careful, that'll lead us all the way to disobedience and to defeat. But then God's word rises up a standard against that kind of thinking. That's why it's so important for you to be regularly in God's word. And you get an A plus today. I mean, you're here, we're talking about God's word. But it's so important for you to regularly be in God's word. And again, it shows up sometimes in testimony, in sermons, in your own opening of the Bible. It can show up in worship songs. I found that the things I put in my mind years ago have a way of coming back up at just the right time. In Psalm 119, David writes, Praise be to you, Lord, for you teach me your decrees. You teach me the way the world works. And I'm telling you that if you'll open your mind, God will teach you about the way he works. Number three, then, I've got to focus on the right things. I've got to focus on the right things. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes to his young understudy, Timothy, he says, Remember Jesus Christ. Focus on it. Think about it. He was raised from the dead, he descended from David the king, their hero in their culture. And he says, This is my gospel. For which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Here, it's not chained. Here's what's really cool about this. Here Paul, when he writes this, he's literally a prisoner of Rome. He's on his way to see the emperor in Rome. That's his petition. He wants to go and make his case. Hey, I was unfairly imprisoned. I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do that to me. And here I am chained, and I'm going to go see. And he says, here I am chained. But what's cool is, is that even though I'm in chains, God's word is not chained. And I just want to offer that to you to think about you. I don't know what's holding in your life right now. I don't know what you're struggling with personally. I don't know what burdens are going on in your life. I don't know what chains have you down, but God's word is not chained. And remembering that, that God's word, his decrees, his power, his character has freedom to run in your life can begin to speak against the chains. If you ask Paul, was he chained? He'd say, of course I was chained. But then the next sentence, if you say, are you chained? He'd say, I'm not chained at all. I can do whatever I want. I'm here to share the gospel, and I'm sharing the gospel freely, even though I have chains on my body. That's the same way it is with us. You may be going through really difficult stuff, but God's word is powerful. It's powerful. And it tears down destructive thinking. It demolishes lies. It helps you see the world correctly. And I have found that for followers of Jesus, when they start walking away from their faith, there's almost always a corollary, a disengagement of God's word. They quit listening to the sermons, even if they're in the room. You know, they walk by Bibles all the time, but they're not gonna open it up. A friend has given them a book about the subject they're struggling with, but it lays unopened on the shelf. God's word and walking with God go hand in hand. And when God's word isn't engaged by you, over time, you're going to struggle with your faith. So my mind has to focus on right things. In Hebrews 12, 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer here is encouraging us to think about Jesus And when we go through things, to think about him, to consider him, to meditate on his story. Let the story of Jesus speak into our lives. So here's a couple things to think about. I think you should think about Jesus and your spiritual family. So think about spiritual things. Look at what Philippians chapter 2 says. In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. When you focus on the right things, the Bible values thinking about the people around you. You ever seen somebody just like walk out on their family and make incredibly stupid decisions? And you sit around maybe and you talk about that. You're not talking about them. You're just reflecting on the thing of this person that you care about. And you think, how could they do that? How could they, how could they do that to their kids? Well, Somehow the word of God that encourages us to think about other people, to lower our own pride and ego and sense of of self-satisfaction instead to walk in humility and to consider others not looking only to our own interests but to the interests of others. Those words from God's word aren't speaking with power. We've turned away from those. So in Hebrews chapter 10 again, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meaning together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That day, it's referring to the day of God's return when all wrongs will be made right. Life on earth as we know it changes. Until then, we're supposed to encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. I've talked about the word of God. I've talked about worship. I've talked about memorizing. I've talked about sermons. But did you realize that the community of the faithful... The community of the faithful, fellowship can be an important part to you having the truth at your ready disposal. It's amazing what happens when a brother or sister comes alongside you and says, I'm praying for you. I see you struggling with this. I've had a couple close enough friends who've known me well enough to on occasion even speak to my life and say, "Hey, I'm concerned about that thing in your life. I'm just concerned about it. And it's never fun. But when you're open to God's truth, it can often come through a trusted friend. So I want you to think about your spiritual family and think about Jesus, but then here's the next blank: think about eternity. Sometimes the reason why we don't see the world around us correctly is, is we're not looking at the entirety of God's created order. We only see here and now. But in Colossians, we're reminded to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And here's why: for you died. <laughs> Paul says, when you came to Christ, you gave up your life. In a second service, we're going to baptize a couple of folks. And we're going to take them under the water, symbolizing that they have died with Christ, but then they've been raised to new life. So that old you is dead. You're not, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So it's not just what you see in front of you, but there's an eternity that's staring us in the face. And it's hard for us to remember. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. There it is again, the mind. The things God has prepared for those who love him, those, who are, those are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Paul's saying here, if we, uh, if we could see eternity, then the things of this earth would grow dim to us. That thing that's so shiny and attractive and desirable, it would lose its appeal if we could keep eternity in mind. If we could see the impact of our life multiple generations from now, we wouldn't be as foolish here and now. Can you do that by your own strength? I'm suggesting to you no. But you can come alongside the word of God and keep it at your ready disposal. And then the Holy Spirit of God can bring back to your mind those things that you have learned and studied over time, that you've experienced over time. And in the moment of crisis, God's truth can speak louder louder than your desire. Yeah, there's a battle for your mind. But you're not powerless. You're not powerless because Jesus wasn't powerless at the grave. There was a power at work in him. And the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be at work in our mortal bodies, even in that part of us between our ears, and can begin to change our stinking thinking and make it more To be a source of His truth in our life that guides and directs. And that's why Four Corners around here, when we preach, it's about the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Because the Word of God is that thing that divides to the core of who you are. The Bible says it goes all the way to our soul and it divides things out, laying bare what's really going on. It's not three songs and two stories and a poem. We're going to open up God's word together. One of the reasons why I like to see you at church is not just so it stokes my ego, although it does a little bit, but I like to see you here because I know when we open God's word together, we're making a deposit into that part of our life that will lead to joy and peace and happiness and righteousness. And that's why I get concerned when I see people kind of fall away. So where are you? Do you have... A regular engagement with the source of truth that flows from God. Are you in his word? Are you in fellowship with other believers where there are spiritual conversations taking place? Is worship a part of your life where in worship we focus back on the greatness and the grandeur of God? Are are you aware that your own desires, if not taken captive will lead you astray and sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go and keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay and you'll end up paying more than you ever wanted to pay. And that's the word of God speak into your life. All right, what I'd like you to do right now is grab out your connect card that you began to fill out earlier and I'd like for us to take a couple steps together as we try to put some of this stuff into practice. Every week around here, I give you a chance To accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So, next step A says, Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. What I want you to do is to declare the greatest truth the world has ever known that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And I'm going to submit my life to Christ. That's what next step A is encouraging you to do to say to God, God, I'm a sinner. I have nothing to bring you. No good work on my own will ever secure the relationship that you offer. So I trust the work that Jesus has done. I put my faith in him. I put my trust in him. If you'd like to do that, we'd ask you to take your pen and just check next step A. And to walk in alignment with the greatest truth this world has ever received. Our next step B says today, I'm choosing to be baptized. If you'd like to be baptized, you check the box. If you have a question about baptism, you check it, and that starts a conversation with you. We'll just ask you about your your journey towards the Lord and answer your questions pragmatically about baptism, and we'll sign you up with a date to get baptized. My next step, C on the screen, here's what it says. I'd like for you to memorize Romans chapter 12, verse 2 as a way of internalizing what we've talked about, kind of making a deposit into that bucket of truth. And here's what it says. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think that when you hide God's word in your heart by memorization, it helps you to walk the path and not sin it against him. Keep your life open to the joy and to the peace and the love that he has for you next step D speaks back to our teachers and says, hey, I'll pray every morning for teachers in our community this week. And if you'll check that box, we'll send you a little prayer guide on how to pray for teachers in our community and how to pray for your kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews, kids, teachers. And if you want this week, it'd be appropriate to send them a little thank you note, maybe with a gift card in it, and just tell them how much you appreciate their investment in the life of your child and renewing their mind of God's physical world even as you're very aware that God wants to renew their mind in his spiritual world. And the next step E speaks to an event we have this week, an event called LeaderCast. This is where leaders get together and they study the skills of leadership. I wanna invite you, this is your last time to do that, to check this box and we'll send you the link. And if you are a 4C attender with it, there'll be a discount. And uh, we'd love to have you here on Friday as we join with several dozen leaders from our community we sharpen our saw on being good leaders in the world that God has put us in let's pray about these things right now father I'm so grateful that your word speaks truth into our lives in a world filled with lies and misinformation and fake news your truth is still good and true I'm grateful Lord that you don't leave us in deception, but you call us, you shine the light and you call us towards the truth. Your words are still true, that truth will set us free. I pray, Lord, for each person in this room for the battlefield that happens in their mind, that your word would take more prominence in our life. That it wouldn't be an afterthought, but we would pursue the truth of your word we'd open the Bible for ourselves. We'd be sensitive to how you'd speak to us through our friends and in the fellowship of believers. I pray, Lord, that even in our worship songs, you would readjust how we see you, that you're great and you're good and you're powerful. And Lord, for those of us that are struggling with temptation and doubt, for those of us that are believing lies and are filled with fear, I pray, God, that your truth would come and you would raise a standard against all of those lies, that you would tear them down, that you would destroy strongholds, even in this room. I pray, Lord, for those that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I have nothing to bring you. So I hold on to the cross and to your resurrection. And I'll trust that to secure my relationship to my heavenly Father. Lead my life. And Father, I pray it again, that we would be a church, that our love is so bright in this community, that it would be a testimony to your greatness and goodness. That people would be open to the truth we speak because they know we care for them. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.